John chapter 5. I'm just going to go over verse um, 1 through 6 just to give you the um, concept one more time, the idea. So, um, verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem uh, for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been um, in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? So the scene is set. We talked about one through six last week. The invalid's there. And um, I'm happy I really studied. It's so funny. I'm, I was telling Macy this. English is so crazy. Because without the increased study, I would have been saying invalid the whole time. Right? I just, in, in my nature, I've been like, oh, the invalid. And y'all would have made fun of me. <laughs> and, uh, or maybe some of you are like, I thought you were just saying invalid wrong the whole time. <laughs> so Jesus encounters this invalid who's been there for 38 years. And the idea that he thought that we learned last week, and I loved, I talked to many people at their church, and they said, well, in my Bible, in verse 4 that we talked about, in my Bible it says that the idea was that an angel would come and stir up the water, and that this angel, after they stirred up the water, then the first one in would get healed. So last week what we did is we debunked that fallacy. Because what we understand is verse 4 in many manuscripts was, manuscripts was added at a later time. So what we learned is people aren't getting healed by an angel, angel stirring the water. Um, if anything, it might have been a false healing if people were getting healed, or a um, pagan healing. It wasn't a healing of Christ. So, you know, here we are, three miracles we've seen. The first three miracles that John shows us is essentially how we can get saved. The first one that we saw was what? Water to wine. Salvation is through the word of God. And we learned who the word of God is, and that's Jesus. The second one we saw was healing of the nobleman's um, son. Salvation is by faith. Remember what that guy, he, he came to Jesus and he said, hey, will you, come, will you come back to my home so that my son can get healed? And then Jesus says, by the time you get back there, he will be healed. And this man possessed the faith in trusting Jesus, right? that he was who he said he was. And then the next one that we're going to see today is this, is the healing of the paralytic. Salvation is by grace. That's it. That's it. Salvation is by grace. So again, you're saying, well, Joey, you went through James. And when you went through James, you said, well, faith without works is dead. Well, that's completely different about your salvation. See, your salvation comes by faith or grace 
through faith. So you're saved. Jesus makes you a new creation because of his grace and his mercy. Not because of anything that you've done. Right? Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9 tells us that. So we're saved by grace through faith, not by our works so that no man can boast. But yet, you say, well, doesn't that conflict what James was saying? No, what James is saying is, is now that the grace of God, now that the, uh, you have faith in God, now that the grace of God is living in you and that you're a new creation, then what happens with an, uh, a born-again believer, what, what happens with a believer, I'm going to quit saying born-again because you're, you're a believer or you're not. So, and then if you're a believer, God makes you a new creation. But what happens when you're a new creation then is your faith is then walked out by works. You begin to have the heart of Christ to walk out love, self-control, peace, joy, mercy, all these things towards other people. So it's not by your works. Don't ever hear me, don't ever hear me say it's by your works. Now, I will challenge the church to be who Christ desires us to be. And if I didn't challenge the church to be who Christ asks us to be, then I'm not the man for the job. Amen? So if you ever feel like I'm stepping on your toes, then I hope I'm stepping on your toes through the scripture and not myself. But I I will look you all in the eye and say, it's only by grace. And now look, there's certain people within the church who look to certain personalities within the church and say, well, they do this or they do that and I can't be them and I can't be those people. Here's what I want to say. Everything that those people are doing, or this group or that group or this group or that group, it's not earning their way to heaven at all. Now, heaven does talk about rewards. Heaven does talk about gifts but they're not earning their way to Christ because of that. Amen? So today's story, we learned that it's only by God's mercy and only by God's grace. Verse six. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So again, we addressed last week, do you want to get well? Interesting question, isn't it? Because if you're well, then you have more responsibility. This guy's been likely living off people. I mean, he can't work. He can't move. So he's holding his sign or just has a sign or a bucket right next to him. So there had to be this living off of others or the help and the dependence of family for a long time. So the question to him is, do you want to get well? Jesus is saying, are you willing to live into the responsibilities that being well means? So um, we talked about that. But verse 7 is where we want to sit for just a minute. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes in ahead of me. 
just want to ask honest questions. You know, as Macy and I were away for many years, um, God was training us and teaching us and molding us. We've been around a lot of different beliefs and a lot of different um, pursuits. Now, here's what I want to ask the question is, how many people have ever been taught that if you have enough faith, you can be healed? Raise your hand. Okay. So what happened is, is Macy and I began to run in circles where if we had enough faith, not only could we heal anyone we wanted to heal, but we could also um, receive our healing whenever we wanted. So you go through these seasons and you try to conjure up all this faith. And I just, I'm not even going to go where my thought process went. I was, how about this? I was literally trying to move mountains with my faith. Guess how many mountains I moved? None. No earthquakes even. No stone moved. But, but we were taught, hey, if you have enough faith, if you have enough faith, if you have enough faith. So then we start to say, well, do I even have faith? Because in my mind, enough faith is this. A mustard seed faith. The faith of a mustard seed will move a mountain. So I went into many of these situations thinking to myself, if, if I just pray, isn't that mustard seed faith? Like, what else do I need to do other than pray to have God perform his will? That's it. I believe that I'm not big enough, powerful enough to solve this problem, but God is. So by me going to God and asking him to do what I can't, that's me saying, God, I trust you. Will you do your will? So this idea of um, if you have enough faith, you will be healed. I believe that this scripture right here completely goes against that theory. You say, well, how do you get that? How do you, how do you get that out of the scripture? Well, the invalid states his lack of faith really quickly. Jesus says, do you want to get well? And here's his lack of faith right here. I have no one to put me into the pool. There's no faith in that, is there? The object of this man's faith was confused. See, he hoped in superstition. The hope that he was putting his, his faith was in this idea that the water would be stirred. And then his faith was, well, if this water was stirred, then I can get in there if a person will put me in there. So his faith was in superstition and his faith was in man. Because he can't move and he's helpless. So how's the dude who's an invalid here going to get into the pool? Only if he has faith in man. See, far too often we can be taught things about faith that steer us in the wrong direction. And what was this guy was being taught, that is if, if somewhat he had faith, in the water being stirred, and if he had faith in man to put him in, then he would be healed. And here's what I want to say. No faith in man will ever save or heal you. Amen? Faith in man will always offend you, betray you, hurt you, and leave you hopeless. This man was hopeless. 
because he was putting his faith in something that had nothing to do with Jesus Christ. It was all wives' tales. So to clearly put it, this man didn't have faith that would heal him. Nor did he recognize the person of Jesus who asked him the question. <laughs> See, how many times do we miss Jesus because we're convinced that Jesus is uh, where we think he should be? Now, I cautiously approach this. But so often we're looking for people to be healed when Jesus is on the other side of the room. And sometimes we're naming and claiming and declaring and conjuring up so much faith for this situation when Jesus is over here moving. And we're looking to man's ideas rather than looking to where Christ is. So immediately after this man reveals that he has no faith in God or people, this is what happens. Then Jesus says to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. Amen. The power of God at work. So the guy revealed, I have no faith. Yet Jesus in his mercy brings healing to him. How did the dude earn his healing in this situation? What did this dude do to receive the mercy of Christ? Nothing. Did he walk to Jesus? Nope. Who walked to him? Christ walked to him. Jesus came to you. Walk in humility. You've never done anything to earn a relationship with Christ. You never even went to Christ. Christ came to you first. Amen? So if you get 25 likes on your Facebook about something, about something that Christ... Uh, and you're a baller in Champaign County if you get above 25 likes. I mean, you might as well run for commissioner next year. If you post something on Facebook about Christ, it wasn't because you came with wise words. It was all about Christ. So get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Jesus tells this man to get up, something that he hadn't done in 38 years. So he wouldn't walk unless there was a miracle, amen? And you want to know something real quick? There's a parallel that we could have taken. We can't be saved unless there was a miracle. So Jesus heals the man of, in spite of him having, having no faith. It wasn't as if he had enough faith or if faith was stirred up. This man was healed because of God's mercy. Romans 9, 16. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. I'm going to read that again. It does, not, it does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. So this healing wasn't because this man did a bunch of works. It wasn't because this man was stirred up by faith. Because this guy seriously had the faith in all the wrong things. 
And yet Jesus told him to get up. The word of God told him to get up. Jesus didn't partially heal him either, did he? Fully healed him. And we see that where Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. So I've been trained. Just because I've been trained that way doesn't mean I believe this way. And I know other people in this room have been trained and, and uh, gone to certain things like this. But I'd be at these big healing conferences, right, with my church, with leadership. And um, what would end up happening is they'd start to say, there's got to be faith in the room. There must be faith in the room tonight. So they'd say, Sister Macy, why don't you come on up? Share your testimony. And she'd get up there and she'd go, throw that hip out there. And she'd say, hey, I was this, I was this, I was this, and God healed me. And then they'd say, Brother Joey, why don't you come on up? And I'd come up here and I'd say, I had severe asthma, I had dreams of the devil, I was overweight, I picked a bald spot in my head, and then when I was 14, it all went away. And then we'd say, Brother Stu, come on up here. And Stu would say, this happened and this happened. And God healed my foot. And then faith in the room and, and people are starting to anticipate, like God's gonna move, God's gonna move, God's gonna move. And if he did it for Macy, and if he did it for Joey, and if he did it for Stu, they don't do it for me. So then what happens is, is we then go through the training of it. And we say, so if you have enough faith, God's going to heal you tonight. To me, that automatically already seems like a works gospel. Automatically, a works gospel. So then they say, God's going to heal you. So what we want to happen is, it, is I'm going to pray and I'm going to pull out a word of knowledge. And I, and I believe in words of knowledge. And I know that God heals through words of knowledge. So don't hear that. And some of you are like, what are words of knowledge? Words, are, words of knowledge are when God speaks to someone about someone's condition that he's already moving in, that then God's going to complete based upon that words of knowledge, word of knowledge. So, so maybe you get a word of knowledge and it's like, God's healing knees today. <laughs> Watch this. God's healing backs today. God gave me a word of knowledge that someone in here has back pain today, and I'm not making mockery of it. Please don't hear that. In all humility, I want to present this. But if I said God gave me a word of knowledge for hurt backs today, who's going to be raising their hand? Be honest. Okay. What about, I have a word of knowledge that um, someone's eyesight is off. I can't read the back screen. So what would end up happening is I would get this word of knowledge. And sometimes they're more acute, and I know that God's in it sometimes as well. Don't hear me saying that it doesn't happen. What I want to teach, what I'm trying to use this scripture as, is a reason to understand that you can't earn it in enough, and it's God's mercy that brings the healing. And when God's mercy brings the healing, it's complete. So what would happen in these moments is I would say, hey, if you have back pain, what I want you to do is stand up, and test it. See if you can do something you've never done before. So people would stand up and they do something. And um, we had a specific friend who had a knee problem. 
And she stood up. She started to test it out because her faith, the faith in the room, God already healed some people, right? Faith in the room. So she tests it, does some of these, right? Does some of these. And then the question's asked, if you are 10% better, wave your hands in the air. So they wave their hands in the air. They're like, yeah, I feel 10% better. Or we're going to keep on going after it. And we're going to pray. So then guess what? We pray longer. God, you just heal that knee right now in Jesus' name. Heal it. And then we ask the question again. Hey, if you're 30% better, wave your hands. So people wave their hands. If you're 50% better, raise your hands. And you keep on doing this process, 70% better, 80% better. If God has healed you, you better stand up and run around the room. So she, she stood up and she ran around the room and she declared her healing that night. Oh, you better believe the faith in the room was like, we know that she had a knee problem and now this woman is by golly running around this room with her tambourines and everything else. Praise God. She was healed. I didn't understand the process because when I look at scripture, Jesus tells the man, Get up and pick up your mat and walk. He didn't say if you're 10% better. He didn't say if you're 20% better, wave your hands. See, when Jesus does something, he does something complete. And he finishes it. Well, guess what? We had the conference on a Thursday, a Friday, a Saturday, and then Sunday. And then Monday we had off. And then Tuesday we had our staff meetings. She came in walking like Beyonce with high heels with no training. <laughs> What's going on? I thought you were healed. We just declared to 2,500 people that you were healed. I thought God healed you. But we were also taught that we must contend for our healing. And I know I'm preaching one aspect of scripture right here. There's other scriptures that we can bring in. But what I see is Jesus did not partially heal this man. He fully healed him. And he healed him on the spot by his mercy. God's mercy brings healing to us. Amen? Now look. If there's a long treatment that people have to go through of sickness or disease, I'm going to keep on praying until God heals them or God takes them. Amen? So I will contend in that manner. Um, but Jesus didn't partially heal him. He fully healed him. Immediately. Jesus said, get up and walk. Not test your movement, not see if you're 10% better. Ecclesiastes 3.14 says this. Watch this. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken away from it. God does it so that people will fear him. What God does will endure forever. Amen? So if Jesus healed the man, 
He's not going to have to fight for it three days later, is he? It's going to be done. So when Jesus told the man to do something, get up and walk, he gave the power and the strength necessary to do it. That will preach. When God told the man to do something, he gave him the power and the strength necessary to do it. When God tells you to do something, he gives you the power and the strength necessary to do it. Moses stuttered, didn't he? But God used him to be the spokesman, to be the mouthpiece of the entire nation of Israel to Pharaoh. We're going through that in the Bible reading plan. Moses stuttered, but what God calls you to, what does God do? He gives you the power and he gives you the strength to have, um, yeah, the power and the strength necessary to do it. Jesus told Peter to walk on water. What did Jesus do? Gave him the power and the strength to do it. God told Jesus to go to the cross. What did God do for Jesus? He gave him the power and the strength to do it. Amen? In obeying the command, we find the capacity, capacity to do the job at hand. One more time, maybe just for my sake. In obeying the command, we find the capacity to do the job at hand. So when Jesus says, get up, get up, pick up your mat, the guy still had to get up. And here's what I want to say is how many of you guys are sitting on your miracle today? And if we were some other church, I'd be doing this. How many of y'all, I said, how many of y'all, how many of you guys are sitting on your miracle today? It's only when we get up, it's only when we move, when God tells us to move, that we find the capacity and the power necessary to do it. You got to move. In obeying the command, we find the capacity to do the job at hand. Pick up your mat. Here's what's interesting, is these mats are made of straw, um, somehow weaved together. Some of them suggested that they could roll up. They had yarn on them. You could put them around your back, whatever. But pick up your mat. Now, what's also interesting is Jesus is telling him to do something that by written, or sorry, by oral law within the Jewish culture is illegal because it's Sabbath. So Jesus is telling him to do something that goes against the oral law within the culture. Pick up your mat. Jesus knowing that that's going to cause conflict because if you break the oral law, if you break the written law on Sabbath, guess what they do? Stone you to death. So why is Jesus asking this man to pick up his mat and be stoned to death? See, <laughs> this man had to somewhat trust that he could do it. Now, typically speaking, they would give you a warning. 
We'll give you written warning in the next time if you break the Sabbath. What we're going to do is write you up and then we're going to kill you. Stone you to death. <clears throat> so pick up your mat. Why did Jesus also tell him that? Because he said that your healing is complete and it's finished and you never have to return to your old place of life. Amen. Pick up your mat, church. Pick up your mat. When Jesus tells this man to pick up his mat, he's saying, you never have to go to the water again. You never have to go back to that place. And see, Jesus tells us the same thing. You don't have to go back to that place in your life. You don't have to go back to that place of anxiousness, of worry, of bitterness, of fear, of lies, of fornication, of gossip, of impurities, of immorality. You don't have to go back there anymore. Pick up your mat. Be healed by the blood of Jesus. You know that that's what the blood of Jesus tells us to do, to pick up our mat and never return to that place again. But what do we like to do? We like to pick up our mat. <laughs> and we are just so tempted to go back to that place, right? And we roll it out. And we just, there's, there's something comfortable about our blankie, right? Anyone in here still use their blankie? There's something comfortable about the place that we've been for such a long time. So see, when Jesus sets us free, we are free indeed. But that doesn't mean that our flesh doesn't desire to return. And just off the cuff, I think of Lot's wife and being asked to leave her mat per se. Leave your old life behind. And what did she do? She, she turned around and she looked. When Jesus says, pick up your mat, it means that we've been born again. We've been set free. His healing is complete and we can move on. Church, we can move on. We have been set free. But the enemy likes to creep in, doesn't he? He likes to creep in and tell us what you can do this today, or, or you can do that today. But the reality of it is, is we no longer need our mats anymore. <laughs> we get to walk in the freedom of Christ when we accept him. We never have to return to our old lives. And guess what? This man dealt with it his whole life. His whole life. God, I've been dealing with this my whole life. How can, how can I be different? Pick up your mat and leave. That's how. God, help us leave our old life behind. And then guess what you do next? Is after you pick up your mat, you walk. And that's what Jesus told him to do. Pick up your mat and walk. By Jesus telling this man to walk, he was commissioning him to live into that miracle. It's one thing for you just to get up, miracle, 38 years. Pick up your mat because you're never returning to your old life. Now walk into this healing. Walk into your destiny. 
walk. That was just an amen, Miss Catherine. Don't even worry about it. This is a church. She's going to be up here later preaching. Walk, walk, walk into your healing. Live it step by step. Now, here's the thing. If, if Jesus was only partially healing him, why did he tell him to walk? Why did he tell him to pick up his mat? What Jesus do- does is final and complete. Amen? Amen. Jesus commissions us to walk in, into the miracle of salva- salvation as well. Not to return to our old life. To run from everything else. To create distance. See, if this man only just, if Jesus just said, get up and pick up your mat. What does that mean about his old life? Nothing. But when Jesus tells him to walk, what's he also telling him to do? Create distance from your old life and the new life. See, you were, you were once brought to this one location for 38 years where, where you couldn't move, where you couldn't help yourself. But now that Jesus has come, he says, I will set you free. Get up, be healed, and walk. Walk as far away from that old place of life as you can. Guess what you and I have to do as well? Walk as far away from this old life as we can. But the question is this, is, you know, throughout the season of my life, uh, it was being taught to me that Jesus would heal everyone. Anyone Jesus ever encountered, he healed. But then I say there were 3,000 invalids during the the festival season. There were 3,000 invalids here. Why didn't Jesus heal all of them? Why were they not all healed? I've had those questions. How could Jesus just walk past all these people? Well, Matthew 18, 11. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What's Jesus' number one goal? Why 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 did he come? Look at the scripture. The Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What was his goal? To save that which was lost. And we see parallels of Jesus often dealing with the person's salvation first and then their healing. Now, for my own accountability, I have not seen salvation come to this man's life yet. So, so, that I, so I present a fair... Uh, sermon, I guess. I don't see salvation coming to this man at this point. Though we desire it, um, and it is good, I believe that Jesus came to save that was lost first. What good is it to gain the whole world but lose your whole soul? What good is it to be healed but yet go to hell? Worthless. So I would rather contend for someone's salvation before I contend for their healing because they can get healed and still go to hell. 
But if you come to know Jesus and you're born again, you go to heaven. And some people may say, well, Joey, by his stripes, we are healed. And that's where scripture sometimes we can fight it. We can argue it, right? We can say, well, doesn't, wasn't it by the blood that we're forgiven and by his stripes we are healed? I've heard it preached that way. But if we actually go to 1 Peter and we, and we look at the commentary there, 1 Peter 2.24 says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Right? So let's read it one more time. For himself bore, for he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live in righteousness. So that's why he died, right? And then scripture saying, by his wounds, you have been healed. So what First Peter here is saying, by his wounds, you have been healed. What that's telling us is salvation has come because of the brutal beating that he suffered before and on the cross. In the original language, the word healed is yomai. Um, if you looked at it in the spelling, you'd never know it. I-A-O-M-A-I. Yomai. And here's what it means. And we're looking at the, the original word healed right here. What does healed within the context of First Peter mean? What was the original language? Yomai. And it means this, to free from errors and sin, to bring about one's salvation. Amen? But the point of bringing up Yomai is this, is if I were to preach um, this scripture as, by his wounds you have been healed, as that's referencing our physical healing, I'm not preaching the original intent of the word, I'm preaching what my itching ears want to hear. Come on, somebody. What's being taught here is, in the original language, to free from error, errors and sin, to bring about one's salvation. What more do you want than that? Don't be disappointed on me, church. What more do you want than your salvation? What more is there than to be able to have the chains broken that I can walk in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? There's nothing better than that. So don't be disappointed you might not get healed on this side. Be excited that by his wounds we are healed to walk in a relationship with him. I'll preach to myself all day. If not, I'll preach to my dogs, and you better believe they will howl their way and become a rowdy church. And you know they like the original language. Therefore, by his stripes we are healed today. Now, you better not be hearing me say, don't hear me say that Jesus doesn't heal people today because he does. And I see miracles all the time of cancer, of legs growing, of backs being healed, of people being delivered and set free, and depression and anxiety being healed and delivered. I see those things, and God does it. But he came to save that which was lost. And I don't earn those things by more faith. I, 
I get those things because of God's mercy and his grace in my life. Because I'm nothing but dust. And I've said it before, I came from the dust of the earth, right? God formed us into some kind of ball or some kind of bag. And so essentially, I'm a dirt bag, right? I'm made out of dirt, the dust of the earth. God heals people today. But Jesus' main goal is to save that which was lost from sin and death. Amen? All right. Uh, we have a bunch to go, a lot more to go, but we're going to stop there today. Next week, we're going to pick up on verse 9b. Jesus loves you. He's for you. He died for you. He came to set you free. And today, he's telling you to be healed, to stand up, to pick up your mat, and leave your old life. We see repentance an illustration of repentance here. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, may your words, may your truth challenge us. I know uh, many stoves, many, many stoves, many uh, toes are being stepped on, Father. My toes are being stepped on. But you are good, and we love you, and you came for our salvation, Father. And we can honor you when our healing doesn't come. Bless us this week. Help us live for you. Help us humble ourselves. We pray for our nation. Father, we pray for Israel, as you say to. And we lift them up. In Jesus' name, amen.